0: Welcome back to Sloydcast. I'm your host, Mark Angelini, joined by my co-host, Mike Hanna, a.k.a. 60K Sloyd, working on my Arabic, <laughs> right?
1: You're doing well. No. Um,
0: and we're back after, geez, it's been almost two months since our last interview. Yeah. And uh, we just, Mike and I, we've got a lot going on in our lives, and it's hard to keep up with this once a month. Uh ideal that we had in our mind but we're we're getting our act together we got some good guests lined up and today we are really grateful and fortunate to have uh our buddy lee stoffer joining us so welcome to the podcast lee
2: afternoon guys
0: great to be uh we we had to work out some some technical gremlins (laughs) um but we got it sorted that's uh that's probably 50 percent of podcasting that's right (laughs) technical difficulty (laughs) exactly (laughs) um but we got it running so uh so lee uh really happy to have you on because i've been i mean you were one of the honestly one of the first people that i really saw when i got into the spoon carving world back in it was like late 2011 i know i've said this many times but i got onto the facebook group the spoon carving and Sloyd or Sloyd and spoon carving group yeah and uh i just remember seeing all your stuff like when i saw your chip carving and all that stuff it just blew my mind um you know, someone that had no context to see this all this high level of work. It was uh really inspiring and uh at any rate. So I've been following you for a while and it's it's exciting to have you on here and get to pick your brain about um your whole craft journey and what you're up to. Wow.
2: So, Thanks very much. Yeah, it's quite quite humbling to hear that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's
2: pretty crazy. So you realize it's been a while, don't you, when you hear things like that.
0: I know, it's it's crazy. I, I was just thinking back to those days and it seems like not that long ago but it's been, you know, 10 years, which is crazy. Mm, wow. Um so yeah, get uh can you tell us where you live and give us a little kind of synopsis of what your life is like as a maker?
2: Yeah, well I live in a in a little town called Bletchley, which is if you follow the signs as you drive into the place from any angle the home of the code breakers so going back
3: to like <laughs> world war ii
2: and the enigma machine i live about a five minute walk from bletchley park where all that stuff went down huh, um, oh, wow. and yeah so that's just on the outskirts of milton keys which is okay um, a fairly big town in the kind of middle of england really i guess mm. um not yeah, about 40 50 minutes from london and similar distance from birmingham really okay so yeah reasonably well positioned if you want to travel around and
3: Mm.
2: yeah so i yeah i just work from home basically and make what i make when i get the when i get the time amongst other stuff and Mm. uh, yeah so just just sort of getting into a new new phase of that now trying to set myself up a little forge at home uh so i can get back you know get right into the tool making from scratch now i've been obviously doing a little bit of forging for the last last little while so something I noticed you've been up to as, as well, Mike. Really, really yeah. impressed actually. You've been knocking out some really cool stuff. In fact, you've inspired me.
1: Oh, great. Um, I'm yeah, very I, humbled I'm... to hear that. <laughs>
2: well, I do a little demo at a local museum and one of the demos that's really good for I think getting people like involved is little um the twisted hooks. Mm, and
3: yeah, so yeah. I was just
2: doing S hooks and then I noticed on your Instagram you've done like a hook where you've done one of the little curls at the end to mount it to a wall. And I thought, what a cool idea, I'll be doing them next mm. time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> Very good. So, so, yeah. so are you? Are you a full-time maker then, Lee?
2: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I wouldn't consider necessarily that I do work full-time as such. Not like some people would perhaps categorize. Sure. It, but I don't. I don't get money from anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's it's the That's way I awesome. kind of pay the bills these days.
0: Good. Very nice. Yeah. um So how did how did you get into all this? What was kind of the first part for you when you first got bitten by the bug or fell into the rabbit hole.
2: Well, that, that was something that you know, really got really got me thinking when I listened to a couple of your other, other pod, podcasts, which I've been you know thoroughly enjoying since I was a bit late to the party finding them.
3: Um, <laughs>
2: but uh, yeah, really, I mean, going back before Facebook was a thing, there was a guy um, on the TV over here called Ray Mears, and his thing oh, yeah. was, was Bushcraft. And yeah. that was actually a I think he just coined that phrase. But he would go out into the woods and, you know, do a lot of wild camping and just take an axe and a knife and real basic equipment and find what he needed in nature, really. So he'd he'd make a lot of stuff on site. And that I think that's what really inspired me to to get an axe and a knife and and have a go. And Mm. like a lot of people, the first thing. I think I ever carved was a spoon. Um, well you could call it that. It's it's kind of a weapon-sized spoon. You could you could, <laughs> you could easily assault somebody with it. I i carved it from a really kind of dry branch of a of a conifer that I cut down from the back of the garden when I moved in. <laughs> Piff in, no. all the way through it and yeah, had no idea. So real basic tools <laughs> I had a I think based on what Ray was using, I had the grandfors uh small forest axe yeah, I bought. Yeah. Even back then, the woodlaw knives were pretty um, unavailable, and not, there wasn't even that mm. many people making the copies back then. So I ended up buying a, a Finnish puko, I think, is the term, mm. as a pretty pretty nice alternative. And then the old classic Mora one six four, yeah, um, and yeah, just spent about three days hacking out the bowl of this ladle and chopping myself <laughs> to bits in the in the process. But it kind <laughs> of got me hooked, um, and then. A little while after that, in fact, almost exactly 17 years ago, I Mm. went to a a local craft fair and it'll probably be no surprise to you, but there was a guy there demonstrating on a pole lathe by the name of Mike. At the time, he was making these part of his demo. Well, his his main demo was making babies rattles. So they're like oh, these yeah, little yeah, dumbbell yeah. shaped things with three captive rings. And i would never seen a pole laid before. Um, never heard the term green woodworking before. Um, really didn't know what that was all about. And absolutely fascinated by this demonstration. Mm, yeah. And at the time, my um, one of my best friends, Chris, his his wife was heavily pregnant and i know this is exactly pretty much exactly 17 years ago cuz his hmm. son their son turned 17 like a couple of weeks ago oh
3: wow
2: <laughs> nice so i watched this demonstration and we bought the rattle that came off the lathe for for him
3: <laughs> lovely lovely
2: and then yeah and then like literally what 3 years later my wife was heavily pregnant went to the same craft fair mike was there again and we're like, oh, we've got, you know, we're going to have to have another. We went specifically to see if he was to get another one of these rattles for our. Oh, nice. Well, we didn't know it was going to be a son at the time, but yeah, ended up being a lad. And um yeah, so we, we watched the demo again, bought the bought the rattle that came off a lathe, and then Mike sort of recognised us, which was pretty crazy considering it has hmm. been three years since. And uh, he, uh-huh. you know, we got chatting. And he's like, "Oh, why don't you come and have a little go?" And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> you know, he said, "Yeah, come on." And so I went and you know. Took a couple of shavings, and he said, "Look, oh, you yeah, know, I've got the last place left on the last course of the year in a couple of weeks." And my mm-hmm. wife was literally like eight months pregnant, and I was like, "I'm in an R and I, you know, wasn't you know, wasn't particularly flush." It was the, the course wasn't expensive by any means, but it was it was a fair bit of money at the time to me. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't, "I'm I'm in an hour," and he said, "Well, you know, last last place on the last course of the year." He's you know, a little bit of a salesman, but you know, in a, in a polite, way. <laughs> and it's actually my wife that kind of pushed me. So she said, yeah, oh, nice. you know, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. When the baby comes along, that'll be that'll be a that's lot, that's true, and much like you guys are learning now.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: so yeah, Definitely. she kind of pushed me to go, and I did. And spent an absolutely magical weekend in mm. the woods. i would never camped in the woods before. Um, so wait, well, you know, waking up under the trees with the birds singing. I had a, a sh- the sh- the shower there at the time. This is at Brookhouse Woods, by the way, so you've obviously yeah, nice. you know, lives there now. Um, it's changed a little bit Um, so that's kind of come full circle because I actually I revisited there very recently a couple of months ago for the bowl gathering that's the first time I've actually been back since Mm. that was that was pretty cool Um, but yeah there's a the the workshop which is pretty much still the same now Um, there was like a composting toilet and a shower which was like a a bucket that you hoisted up into a tree (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and stood under like a watering can rose for a wash. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely amazing. You know, the most yeah. satisfying shower you've ever had, and it was an intro, <laughs> an intro to wood green woodworking course. And oh. I made a shave horse because I thought, well, that's going to be a mm. useful tool to then progress this hobby.
1: But yeah, I insisted,
2: sure. I'd never used the pole lathe properly before, but having seen Mike turn these captive rings, I was kind of insistent that I must have a captive ring featuring somewhere on the shave horse, so you know, like the footrest <laughs> at the bottom on the, the traditional. Well, I say traditional, it was something that I think Mike had come up with at the time. It's like a, I think he called it the Horse 2000 or something. So it's like <laughs> a solid, solid bodied thing um, rather than the plank and wedge setup.
3: Right, um, right but
2: yeah. he still had the traditional like ladder frame so you've got your foot rest, the peg that goes through the body of the horse and then the top bar that does the clamping so mine's mm-hmm. got a, a captive ring in the middle of the foot peg that looks like it's been chewed out by a, you know a drunken beaver but it's there <laughs> so it's, it's still there to this day and that's like what 14 years ago now and weirdly, what brings that story full circle is I I built myself another shave horse that was more suitable for the task that I wanted it mm. for more along the lines of David Fisher's bowl horse mm-hmm. design. So I could grip mm-hmm. tool handles end to end. And um, the guy that actually put me onto the podcast, uh, a local friend of mine called Mack, who I met at the local turning club, mm. that, that, that very shave horse lives with him now. He's got it like on long-term loan. Yeah. And he was the guy that introduced me to you guys and told me oh, about your wow. podcast. So the whole oh, thing ties up really neatly.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Lovely.
0: Nice. The word's getting out. Yeah, worded. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And that's obviously Good. I'm very pleased that he did point me in your direction because you've you've talked to some fascinating people. You know, I've thoroughly thoroughly yeah. enjoyed. I've not caught up with all of them yet, but yeah. at least at least half of them I've listened to and yeah, thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed them. So well done. Oh, awesome.
0: Nice. <laughs> Thanks, man. Glad to hear that so so from the shave horse um what was it that drew you to spoons because i feel like from what i've observed spoons have kind of been one of your main right um avenues yeah well i'd say
2: time tools i guess all of the stuff the first thing i did Mm. when i got home was use the use the shave horse to build like a pole lathe and Mm -hmm. got into doing a little bit of that but i'd say the the spoons I'd, i'd carved a couple of spoons before i went to mike's and he had a had one of Ben Orford's spoon knives just kicking about on the on the dining table and I had a go mm. with that. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is a bit different, a bit more, a bit more user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And then I uh, sort of after that I got again, there wasn't a lot going on. I don't even think Facebook was really a thing at the time. There certainly weren't mm. the groups. Um so I right. never another, right. never really met another spoon cover. I knew it was a thing, but mostly through the bushcraft Mm. Sort of stuff and I went on a there was a site more in the days of forums really and there was this kind of forum yeah woodlife um and wood it was life. set up by a guy called uh Paul or Pablo it was Pablo's woodlife it was called and he was like an ex-army physical instructor I think and mm. he was just you know he used to go out on little tracking expeditions and wild camps and he used to just document that and then it turned into a like, one a really early kind of form of social media and mm. I started talking to a few Few of the guys on there and you know one of the most instrumental ones uh, was a good friend of michael chris grant i met him on there he's up he's from up in scotland um and it was actually him that came up with the with the initial concept for the for the spoon sculpt that i make now oh really oh, nice. after we've been chatting for a while i already i've already bought a and i'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this but a spanta um, mm-hmm. knife That's at right. that point one of his kind yeah. of like more open hook designs and that that was a bit of a game changer
3: uh-huh.
2: and I realized I could do the left-handed one so I said to Chris you know because I sort of made friends with him and he was a he was a really talented knife maker I said like do you fancy making me a left-handed knife and he was like well I could but I've had this idea and I can't no one will go with it so what do you reckon to mm-hmm. this and he ran <laughs> this idea by me sent me a couple of pictures and I was like I'll commission one of those (laughs) sounds awesome so he made he made me the the original and as well as as far as I'm concerned the original I did I did plenty of research after this to try and find this out and uh yeah so that that was where that kind of game game began He, he even came down for a camp in the woods and sort of hand delivered it and I remember just nice having a log with it and hollowing a bowl first out of a, just the side of a log and then carving a spoon shape around it kind of thing so i'm so excited to just oh, use nice. the tool for something <laughs> and it's at that point in time it was the sharpest knife i'd ever picked up and uh-huh, you know it's, uh-huh. it's developed quite a bit since then
3: yeah. Um, but yeah wow. that's where it
2: all started and then you know the long and short of that is that talking to him again quite recently about wanting to kind of document that journey that mm-hmm. was all inspired by villa sunquist and going mm. back to again i would messaged magnus earlier actually because he's posted a picture fairly recently of something a bit like it it was a tool i think it's like a, a scandinavian version of an in shave um mm. which you know over here i think france and places like that it would be like a really steeply curved draw knife so a two-handed yeah. thing I think a scorp is generally more described as a, as a one handed tool mm, and, a full, and a full loop of blade. And yeah, you, they yeah. were more for coopering, from what I can gather. All the research I did at the time, there wasn't anything around that was specifically set up for spoon carving. And so the, yeah. hand, the, the blade were kind of cranked downwards from the handle to be pulled towards you, like inside a vessel. I think that was the idea of it for cleaning up, where an in shave wouldn't fit maybe a scorp would hmm. um so yeah you kind of and then i went up to scotland and with well, the first one was was great and the best knife of ease but it had its it had its kind of limitations so it was obvious from a, a user's point of view that it could be developed so i went up there and made a couple of other ones with with chris in his forge and then i said look you know you're really onto something here you should you should make these he's like no i'm a custom knife maker i'm not interested in that. i make <laughs> one-offs don't do, don't do batches of stuff so he said why don't you know why don't you run with it and i was like well i don't you know i'm not qualified i can't forge or do anything like this <laughs> right. um, so yeah yeah we went round another guy I've, there's another guy called um richard another friend of ours through woodlife he made the, fir- the very first kind of batch if you like that i ended up selling mm. at a, a wilderness gathering show yeah again they they, they had the limitations they weren't quite the full realization of what the tool could be so you know Mm. I went back to Chris and said look you know come on you you want to do this really and he said no (laughs) I'm not doing it he said but there's this there's this new guy on the scene he's he's making batches of tools and he seems to know what he's doing his name's Nick Westerman
0: Uh he
2: said why don't you contact him and because he'd been chatting to Nick and I think basically you know advising him a little bit in the early days getting him set up and helping him get set up because chris is like super knowledgeable when it comes to the metallurgy side of stuff Mm, um he could you know really really take you to task on that he he understands it better than most people i've ever come across Mm. he he was a guy that introduced a lot of the carving world to as far as far as i'm aware anyway to using the bearing steel in carving tools Mm. Um, Mm The first knives I I made with them we used silver steel, which hmm. I don't know what you guys would call that over there, but mm. it's I think it's BS sure. you know, here. I think maybe W two might be something close to it. It can be water quenched, but anyway, it's, it's a really you know it's got carbon in it, it's got a bit of a little bit of chrome in it. It's, it's a really good tool steel, and I still use mm. it for all of the straight blades I make. But you can only buy it in round in round bar stock. So ah, I see. That's I think where the bearing steel came in because you could buy that in flat, so that made life easier. Oh, nice, uh, nice. So yeah, so that's the. So then, obviously, I went to Nick and we came up on an arrangement where he'd would, he would kind of work with me on that. And yeah, that's that's huh. where all that started. And the first batch of his the blades that sort of he forged for me came right. um, came to the very first spoon fest with me, where I met obviously all sorts of people that I never expected to meet. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm the sure.
2: talent that was there I, you know i thought i had a bit of an idea about spoon carving when i rocked up there <laughs> and i was just blown away you know even back you know that was early days that you know there was far fewer people carving at the standard that people are now because it just yeah out there right. but there was still some outstanding guys there obviously um villa's son was there uh, you've interviewed him as well i think I, I, again i'll probably pronounce his name wrong but is it yoga or Yogi, yeah, yeah, and, yep. you know he was yep. like the star of the show, and I remember being proper awestruck meeting mm. him there. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure Magnus was there, and Jared and Fred.
3: Mm. Um, oh yeah.
2: So again, met all of those. But that actually reminds me because the first spoon carver I ever met was at a local show, and that was Martin Hazel.
0: Oh that no, yeah, I love yeah. That guy.
2: before Spoonfest was a thing, and I actually had Chris's scorp in my pocket at the time and showed it to him, and he's like, "I'd buy one of those." <laughs> so yeah he he actually did buy one of the very first ones that at at, at (laughs) that that so they just just got distributed to a few few friends really and i met um another guy called keith matthews there i don't know if you've come across Mm -hmm. him yeah oh yeah he then off the back of that there was he, he was there with a friend who was doing this thing where she was basically you know you cut paper snowflakes yeah. yeah. Where well, she came up to me and asked if I had a pair of scissors, and I was like, "Yeah, cool. What do you want a pair of scissors for?" She said, "I'm doing this thing. I'm carving, I'm making a snowflake every day, and I forgot to bring a pair of scissors." So, anyway, lent her the scissors. <laughs> she made a snowflake, and then shortly after that, Keith decided to adopt that, and that's where this whole three, six, five spoons ah, thing came. Yeah, from. yeah, so yeah. He, he then went on to carve a, a spoon a day for a
1: year, which was. a yep, I remember that. Cool nice. thing. And then I met
0: spoon a day for a year.
1: so, so the first batch was made by Nick Westerman
2: the first no the first batch was actually made by a guy called richard douglas hmm.
1: um richard, and
2: okay. uh, he he was again working with another friend of mine called john arthur at the time and they, those are all guys that really were involved in more of the bushcraft side of things but john arthur mm-hmm. was okay. an absolutely well still is as far as i know i haven't spoken to him for a while but absolutely superb really creative carver he used to hmm. do a lot of um like cups which were like hollowed out skulls um, oh, like wow. eagle eagles heads and things like that and nice yeah, he used to make spoons that had like canoes for handles along the whole. Like, um, I think Richard ended up calling his company River and Journey Knives because it was like all based around the whole bushcraft angle. Hmm, so right. yeah, we used to we did a few sh- couple of shows together just as a little collaborative effort with this like the guys from Woodlife before it really became like a proper. I don't know more dedicated obviously it was always a carving tool but it was more of a multi-purpose not just a spoon knife if that makes sense yes yeah. you know it had all sorts of other potential but yeah nick's understanding of of obviously the geometry of spoon knives then right. got put into it i actually sent them both exactly the same drawing to work from and out out of the packet you know straight straight out of the gate nick's just just worked hmm. and Damn. um yeah that very actually he did me a prototype and it's kind of evolved since it was always sort of roughly the design that it is but originally they weren't formed to a specific shape they used to vary a lot so okay I actually ended up one went home with yoga from the first spoon fest because I was really nervous meeting him and Nick had made him a few (laughs) blades so I got to deliver those and um in a you know really nervous introduction I was like what what do you think of this and he said (laughs) said, yeah Yeah. looks great I'll take one of those off your hands and um he did uh, he did point out that at the time i didn't i didn't really know a huge amount about ergonomics but i really liked a chunky handle on a tool so the handles in mm-hmm. the early ones are really massive
3: uh-huh.
2: and um i did i you know kind of made him intentionally large with the view that one of them was going to martin he was, he's a big guy and got really big hands and i thought mm-hmm. people could always take some material off of them to make them suit yeah sure. The way they sure. want them to work, and I'd always found traditional tool handles like on the on the Mora and I, was really quite small and yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Too yep. difficult to grip. So but I went the other extreme. <laughs> so somewhere in the, somewhere <laughs> in the middle, which is where I'm <laughs> at now, is kind of where it sits.
1: Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah. So is is it forge welded? I mean, how do you make the loop? I, I'm talking uh, just technicalities here. I'm well, kind of curious because
2: it starts with a strip, which gets hollowed. I mean, in the beginning, they were, ho- Chris was hollow grinding them from thicker steel. Whereas Nick, Nick sort of like brought in the, this whole idea of hollow forging, which mm. is efficient with the material and actually starts to make the outside shape. Work right. as
1: well, oh, I see. I see.
2: Um, so it, yeah, that, that was a really kind of an important development. And obviously for the way that they get sharpened, it's easier to have them hollow on the inside.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm. But that yeah that so that they basically just start as a strip and you put the hollow in and then you you know you bend i actually made some formers in it when we kind of after some experimentation and working out what the what the ideal shape was which is another story behind that but <laughs> I get onto that I, I made up some formers for, the, for nick to bend them round, so they came out fairly consistent All right um, and then after after many years I actually managed to get my hands on one of the other sort of elusive knives on the market the Bo helgerson which mm. as far as i'm mm-hmm. aware now one of robin wood's knives is kind of like a pretty much direct copy of that shape i don't know if it's the compound curve one but anyway when i yeah. offered it up sort of spine to spine against the the modern iteration of the spoon scorp, it was pretty much exactly the same curve and it mm. was kind of spooky the fact that i've not had my hands on one in the past and been through this whole research and development process and then you end Mm. up with the same recipe and i guess it's just just what works isn't it yeah that's so cool yeah there really is you know like Magnus said there's nothing new under the sun really it's just yeah it's
0: so true at what time (laughs) you discover it yeah and for people that don't know what the spoon scorp is um basically like a teardrop shaped hook knife in a sense um
2: So it's, a complete, it's a complete loop with a, obviously a sharp edge all around one side and a, yep. a spine all around the other. Mm, um, right. So, a friend of mine bought one of the double edged Mora knives and, and literally just turned his uh, thing. It's like he'd been working in a butcher's by the time he'd cut <laughs> that thing. Geez. So, the whole having I think having a spine is important, but also having both, both edges available uh, at, at one time is quite useful. A left and a right handed kind of yep. nice. See, in the one see I didn't.
0: I didn't know that, Lee. I thought that both both sides of the blade were sharp. But okay, that because I'm we're actually watching a video on your Instagram right now of you hollowing a spoon with it. Um, right. So I, I see. So when you switch direction, you're just flipping the knife over. That's um, right. It's okay. Wow. Yeah.
1: Hmm. That's but a pretty, pretty cool design get, feature.
2: You get the benefit of the, becoming all the way round, actually supporting itself. So instead of having yeah. like a question mark shape with kind of like a, quite a flexible tip. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you've got that sort of the supported strength and and somewhere actually I've, I find if in certain, certain grips, you can just put a, like a finger on the back of the, the bit of the spine that you're not using to carve to kind of lever against. So uh. it's pretty versatile. I've had some, I've had some reasonable feedback about it. No, <laughs>
0: yeah. That's a great, <laughs> that's I've, over the years. I've seen a lot of them. I've never, I don't think I've ever tried one, but no,
1: I'd love to have, a go, awesome. yeah, love to have a go with one. Yeah. I'd love to have a go with
2: one. Unfortunately, not the most available tools. Obviously you know, there are other people out there making them now.
1: Sure. You
3: know,
2: I've not, I've, you know i've not actually used anybody else's version mm. right. um and i've heard you know various reports about them i've even heard there's a guy that claims he came up with the idea completely independently and makes the original sort of five years mm-hmm. after they've been around but it is you know it is what it is it's, it's been out there for a while now and yeah people you know there's pictures on the internet and it's like with the whole spoon carving thing you, right. You, right. When you've carved a few spoons and used them you know whether they work or not if you just yeah. kind of copy a picture on the internet it might look yeah. like the picture but the angles might not be right the bowl might be too deep um, yeah, right. and it's yeah so i think it's the experience of having used the things that is kind of what what makes them work i suppose
0: yeah so. absolutely sure um yeah was, i was just gonna say something i lost it um so do you do you sell a lot of those scorpions? then
2: I, I sell as many as I can make without too much difficulty. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it'd be lovely to be able to make more, but they are a really kind of labor intensive thing, yeah, thing to make. Like they're, that. they're not yeah. easy. Um, and yeah. obviously, you know, with Nick being as busy as he got, it, it became, you know, difficult for him to be able to, to kind of cater for yeah. customers like me who wanted wanted sort of like more than one of something on a regular basis so, you know that was the arrangement we kind of started with i'd buy you know batches as, as often mm. as he could make them and it just yeah it, it eventually it's got to the point where that's it's just not feasible anymore so that's hence mm. why i'm sort of setting up to start doing the forging myself i've been grinding them for years oh, nice. now it got yeah he originally he would obviously sell you know sell me sharp sharp blades and then it got to the point where i went up and sort of learned how to how to grind them and took mm, on yeah. took on that job so he was just selling me like heat treated forged sort of blanks right. if you like so something without a sharp edge on and fresh fresh from yeah, the, yeah. fresh from the heat treatment that i was doing all the finishing on hmm. um but yeah well I, I like to sell complete tools as well lots of people you know want to buy want to buy blades which i fully understand um,
3: sure
2: but I, I, yeah, the whole the thing for me is i like a i like the complete journey i liked getting into the whole yeah. leather work side of things and then yes. handling you know it's just an inclusive thing and that to me that's that's what makes it makes it fun but it is a it's, it's not easy then they're, they're not I, I can't say that some of the elements of the job are particularly fun
1: yeah um, yeah. yeah forging forging blades and tools can be very very labor intensive and yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of learning curves to uh you know to accomplish there
2: without a doubt yeah and it, it, it takes a long time so to be able to You know, what I'm hoping now is at least if it's all under the one roof, I can. I'm not saying I'll be able to make more, but at least I'll be able to kind of decide as and when I can rather than sort of being reliant on someone else applying any other element on it. So, you know, it's going to be. I'm setting at the moment, I'm getting all the equipment in place um, and hoping to get that all up and running kind of early in the new year. So, yeah, yeah, I'm quite, quite excited about that. Should be good fun. Yeah,
1: setting up your own forge can be a very, very fun process.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to have access to this museum forge for the last well four or five years now. So I've been forging a mm. few straight blades and doing demos there. But it's a very antiquated, like hand hand crank bellows. Mm. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know it's like a proper old village forge but from <laughs> a, few, a couple of hundred years ago we don't use any electricity there it's it's pretty mm. cool but it's not that a, is fine. a modern kind of working environment where i could be producing batches so right you know, hence why well, hence why it's something that's uh going to be going to be worth me putting the putting the infrastructure in to be able to do it oh, that I'm sure <laughs> just hope i don't so upset the- my neighbors
0: <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the banging and grinding yeah yeah um, yeah, it looks like I'm just, we're looking at your website right now. Um, you've got quite the lineup of different tools. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk about the tool thing one, you know, as it seems like it's kind of become a big part of your work, but also I've just found it interesting over the years, like past five, six years that, um, tools become such a big thing. I mean, it's yeah. one, it's hard to find a good tool cause the demand is just through the roof yeah um, but there's also just so many options now for really well-made carving tools i mean right. i i could name just off the top of my head you know 10 different people that are making really high quality tools yeah, um, yeah. mike not one of them <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> he's like looks pretty good to me
0: <laughs> i'm just kidding no, he's good um but yeah it's uh yeah how's that been just being a part of that because you know among it's the amazing outfits, in.
2: yeah so yeah. I've had, you know the, the the feedback I've got is it, so humbling really when you think of it. and like going back to the like just carving the spoons as well the, the feedback I've had from putting information out there on that is it's just been incredible really and it's, yeah just to I don't know have people telling you that they've been inspired by stuff that you've done is, mm, right. is is quite amazing really to, to just yeah, be yeah. Part, to be part of that journey but like you say that the tool thing has grown immensely when yeah. you know when i got into it the you know the tools that were available were kind of more tools and then you had the likes of spantajab and hans carlson were making yeah. decent knives um yeah and yeah since then obviously like you know like with the spoons themselves they lots of people having a go and i think that's that's mm-hmm. what it is I, I i really didn't like chris i, di- I didn't want to really be a tool maker i wanted to be a spoon carver that was my kind of dream if you like
1: right um
2: yeah. but you you have to accept the reality that that there's well when i when <laughs> not i kind much of money tried,
1: in spoon making
2: well there's, there's not that much money in tool making when you consider the time that goes into it in a way but right in when i tried sort of selling spoons for a living there just wasn't really the market of people that wanted to spend that kind of money on a spoon mm-hmm. that would would kind of cover your time and I really yeah. sort of got quite disheartened actually in, uh, in a way yeah. because that was my passion and I really wanted to sort of share it with the world but they just didn't right. seem to be market I've not I've not really tried selling much on the spoon front since I, I did sell a few on the website but it's never been a right. you know, I've given I've given more spoons away than I've sold I think over right. the years yeah but yeah it's all part all part of the learning curve um sure. The, the tool side of things really is, is developed off the back of it it was kind of like well if people are not going to invest in the in the spoons then maybe they'll invest in the tools and, and sure enough mm. they have and right. like i say i can't i could can never really keep up with the demand which is yeah. is nice in a way but a little bit like magna said i can't i can't really work under <clears throat> under the pressure of waiting lists and yeah. pre-orders yeah. being paid in advance all that kind of thing so very
3: yeah,
0: much yeah, it's I, tough. Could, I
2: couldn't have been more aligned of actually an ethos what magnus described yeah. is almost exactly how i think and feel about this mm. whole thing yes. um yes. i just have to do it when i'm when i'm in the right headspace, yeah. in the right mood yeah. to actually get out there and do it and then they just they go up online as and when they're ready and you know, yes. there's a bit of a mad yes. scramble and people get upset when they can't get one and that's unfortunate but it's yeah. i i would be constantly upset trying to
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Kind of put myself under the pressure to to feed a market that I would struggle yeah. to keep up with. So yeah. I was
1: I was having that thought uh, just yesterday. I'm in the process of I got some news. I'm setting up a website. Awesome. <laughs> and and I wanted to start uh, selling some things on there. And that thought that I had was kind of profound for me, at least, because I was thinking, you know, how do I keep this fund for me? How do I keep enjoying, you know, the journey of crafting and making by hand without you know uh trying to meet the demand mm-hmm. of an order you know and i yeah. just i don't like production work i just never really liked making the same thing mm-hmm. 25 times you know yeah uh, in a week's in a week's worth of work i i like the custom work so you know i came down it came down to the idea of just making things that i enjoy making and making them available and if someone gets them great they don't then whatever at least i got my enjoyment out of making uh, a tool or whatever it is and i think that's important uh, for somebody who who makes things by hand
2: yeah the repetition is a good thing you know if you can get into i remember when i first started wanting to about my game on the spoon carving side of things Uh, i did make big batches of spoons and i would stand there and axe out x amount of blanks all in a yeah. row just to try and get that process sort of cemented i don't know that muscle memory is really a thing but you know that experience <laughs> of the, the repetitive kind of action of just doing it one after the other and, and getting each element of that process embedded isn't isn't right. a bad idea but it does get a bit For monotonous sure. after a while hence why yes. now i tend to even if i've yeah. got say like a batch of 20 blades i'll <laughs> maybe grind 10 at a time because Mm-hmm. Just going out. There's I worked out once when I went when I was buying the blanks from Nick, they went from from that point, I think there was twenty seven different stages of sharpening that they went through on each blade. Wow. <laughs> and when you think about that you know you've got to do one of those stages 20 times and then 27 of those that's a lot and so even even on a fairly what a lot of people would consider a fairly small batch it just it it just gets a bit bit much and you obviously when you're Mm. grinding blades as i'm sure you've realized mike you you can't really take your eye off the prize if if you lose concentration you're also going to probably lose a finger or two so
1: oh yeah grinding blades i when i first started uh making knives, I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. It's just, you know, you just put the <laughs> knife up to the grinder and call it Ooh, good. You know, like, yeah. how long can it take? <laughs> man, did I, ruin, did I ruin some knives? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean... it's, it can be a very, very tricky process, getting the bevels even, you know, and working you know, through the different grits and then also making sure that you're not rolling the edge and the steel is still good and you're not ruining the temper. I mean, it's, it's very labor intensive and you have to be very, very focused throughout the whole process for sure.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Have you, st- have you started trying to blend, blend convex, curved bevels into flat ones yet? Mm.
1: I did a little bit. Um, I, I did some scandi grind knives not long ago, and then I put uh, very tiny micro bevels on them, cool. and then ended up blending those in uh, with the with the scandi grind, and they turned out they turned out pretty good. I can tell the uh, the edge is a lot stronger and holds up very well. Awesome. But my next thing is hollow grinds, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. What well, hollow as in on straight knives?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, hollow, yeah. You know, just all different types of knives that I'm making right now. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I have a I have a an eight inch wheel on my two by seventy two grinder, and I would like to experiment a little bit with it and see where I can where I can go with that.
2: Nice. Yeah, that'll be something I'm looking to upgrade to at some point. I've got to make some space for one of those. Yeah. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. At the
2: moment at the yeah. moment all my all my grinding still gets done on a modified Sorby Pro Edge, believe it
3: yeah, or not. Yeah.
2: And, yeah. Yeah. Can't can't bolt the thing. I've I've worked it far too hard for far too long and it still keeps going every time I <laughs> yeah. <a> switch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was
1: that was one of the grinders I was looking to purchase actually when I was first got into uh making tools. I was like, you know, I really want one of those. And then um I don't know what changed my mind. Uh, I think I wanted to make kitchen knives and other varieties of different, bigger knives. I felt mm. like a 2x72 might have might be a little better, I guess, overall. Oh,
2: yeah, they're far more adaptable. And obviously, if you've got a, like the speed control on it as well, that's definitely oh, a yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the variable
1: yeah. speed was the biggest addition to it. I mean, it really helps when you have a, a piece of steel that's tempered and you go to grind it. You know, having a variable speed, the control makes it uh, a lot easier for you to not ruin a temper.
2: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That's the one downside on the sorby When you get up into the finer grits at the speed it runs, it's it's dead easy to burn a blade. But yeah, again, you just you just get used to it, don't you? Eventually, you burn a few, and you 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 cast, (laughs) and you just go again. Basically, yeah. Have another go. Absolutely. That's one
1: of the.
0: That's one of the cool things with tools. I think is you always get used to the tools you have, you know, and then it's. this is something I find interesting which is like the tool world in general and maybe it's part of like the demand for the handmade tools. Um is it's easy to say like well there's always a better tool, you know, I could have this or right. that and it'll be um but I've kinda done the opposite where I just try and use like the cheapest thing that I can. Right. Um like right. I used a, a Mora hook knife for probably two years or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer before I bought my first a cut, you know handmade carving a hook knife yeah and i'm happy i did it because i learned how to you know change the bevel on it so i was right. learning about sharpening yes um yes, yes. and i just learned you know all the weird quirks about that one knife uh and so when i got a better knife i was able to use it a lot more proficiently because i understood a lot more about sure. you know sure. everything that went into designing it
2: makes uh, perfect sense now that's that's the one if i was ever going to give anybody advice when they get into this kind of hobby yeah or yeah or job whatever whichever way you want to come at it sharpening is key you want to yeah. it like you say yeah. it really doesn't matter what the tool is some won't hold an right. edge as long as others right. but you can modify bevels if you can mm-hmm. work out what sharp really is um, yeah. and i think that's where that's where the that's where something's happened in the last five or ten years is people have been supplying tools that are ready for work as I think mm. traditionally you know carpenters wood carvers they they bought things fresh off the grinder which they, were, they hadn't even hit edge because yep. the manufacturer didn't know for sure exactly what the end user user was going to be That's doing true. with the That's tool true. but the end yep. user was more than capable of making the tool fit for purpose so yep. where people have got into it as a hobby you know these would have been professionals buying buying tools exactly. for work and since yep. it's become yep. a hobby based thing People buy tools that are not sharp, but think that's what sharp is. Then they're only ever going to try and recreate what came out of the packet, which wasn't necessarily where you should be at. And I think the the understanding of what sharp is now is more universal. The tools are available sharp. So at Mm -hmm. least you know where you're starting from. But the skill involved in even maintaining or achieving that sharpness, I think, is one of the most important skills you'll ever learn. Um, Oh, for sure you know there is it's one it's the overlooked i think you know other people have mentioned on podcasts, and I'm, I'm one of i'm a lazy sharpener i don't want to be sharpening tools I want to be using <laughs> yeah. Them.
3: yeah yeah but at the uh, same
2: time when you put that f that time and effort into sharpening a tool properly you yeah. you understand and it then it pays you back doesn't it you know you know oh, yeah. when you
1: oh for sure you
2: take that tool to a piece of wood and it leaves that wood finished like a piece of glass it was worth the effort in sharpening oh
0: for yeah. sure for um, sure so yeah that the, there's different types of sharp that's that's the and like wood carving sharp needs to be yeah i mean ideally it's like as sharp as possible not right uh like you know i carry a pocket knife and that thing's as sharp but it's not right
1: i couldn't carve with it very well (laughs) um you know not gonna leave a nice (laughs) nice finish on that piece of wood yeah no um like, yeah, no, you wouldn't
0: no, want to open
2: up packaging with your favorite carving knife either, would you?
1: No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> or, don't you be know, doing that.
0: Or, or you know, be slicing it and accidentally hit the, a rock or yeah. whatever. Don't be doing that. That's the worst. Actually, I, the other day I, I uh, was using. Um, I have this little ads I bought from this guy Don Dillon. Um, who's he's not alive anymore, but he made these amazing ads, and I was using it for. Um, I was trying to modify this little piece of wood on my, uh, apple grinder for making cider. Yeah. And, uh, it's one, I built myself the grinder. So I was just, you know, adds in a a little bit of material cause it was rubbing and, um, well I ended up adds in down to where the screw oh. I was holding the piece of wood was and it. Uh. I mean, it was just a, it was literally like a millimeter of screw got exposed yeah. yeah, and next thing you know, boom, the whole, I mean my whole, the ads, which I'd never had any issues with the thing has been sharp ever since I got it. Yeah all of a sudden it's got two little nicks on it Ugh. and uh it was it, was it was pretty sad but i uh i was able to repair it pretty well with not having to remove too much metal but that's good
2: yeah that's um, always a bonus but it's soul destroying if you did you know, if you didn't know first of all if you didn't know how to repair it and you know yeah, it yes. yeah. took a massive chunk out of it and had to grind after oh. the blade away it's yeah
3: yeah
2: like you say yeah. it's, there's places you don't really want blades to go <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah i learned my lesson i have and it's funny because i have it and have another ad that's just kind of like a you know, it's kind of a more not. I don't want to say junky, but it's it's one that if I nicked it, I wouldn't be so worried about. Yeah. So I, don't, I learned a lesson there. So
2: <laughs> it's, it's always so, worth having sort of spare tools that you're not so fussy
0: about. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. there's always those um, jobs where you don't want to use your
2: favorites on them.
0: That's true. The thing you said about tools coming sharp is really. It's actually pretty fresh in my mind because I watched a really fascinating video. Um, I think it was a Norwegian video back from probably like the 60s right and it was a a scythe maker you know just a little farm blacksmith you know guy who farms most of the year and then blacksmiths in the winter is what it looked like and uh he's making these little scythes they're like um they're probably like a foot long and they're you put them on a short handle for cutting like brush and stuff yeah well he goes through the whole forging process and then um i was kind of surprised i don't know why but i just kind of i was just thinking oh yeah he'll put the edge on it well no he just he just forges them out and he leaves you know two millimeter edge at the, at the cutting edge. Yeah. And then they went on to show like when the person gets it, mm-hmm. which, you know, back in then back then was, you know, a person that knew how to take care of the tools and sharp right. tools. So this guy's got a big, you know, two foot diameter, you know, grinding the, wheel. Yeah, and grinding, you know, he's got his little yeah. grandson cranking the grinding wheel and he's yeah. getting an edge on his side. Yeah. And it just, it brought that back to me because I remember Robin Wood mentioning that once, um, because, someone i think it was when he first when he was first doing his axes the the bevel angle on it was um a little bit steep yeah and i remember reading i don't remember where i saw this maybe on facebook or something but someone commented like oh the bevel angles you know whatever mm-hmm. and his his response was well you know back in the day a tool wouldn't even come with it, you know necessarily Definitely. a bevel on it yeah. so yeah, not even uh, yourself it was kind of a like a reminder to people you know like you're you're kind of spoiled in a way because you got the axe, you know, right. razor sharp. Right. And if the bevel wasn't how it suited you, well, yeah. Then uh,
1: I think I think there's a lot of value in learning how to sharpen right. But I think as well, um, the customer base that tool makers now are, are providing tools for, their idea of sharp and their idea of a tool that they're going to buy, they want it sharp just you know, for a long time before mm-hmm. they have to touch it. Yeah. And. I would, I mean, I know there's people out there that are just buying tools to collect tools rather than to buy tools and actually put them to use. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a hobby in itself, you know, oh, like yeah. a, a tool that collector. Conser- you know, that
2: concerns me. That habit. It does, <laughs> it, you know, because it
1: does it does create demand. Yeah. Uh, but demand for tools to just sit on a shelf or in a cabinet and just collect dust, you know. Yeah. And I think a tool, a good tool, needs to live the life it wants to mm-hmm. live, you know. Of and, course. Um, so yeah, we need we need to be using these tools and. I would caution, um, especially those who are starting off, to to not, you know, be out there chasing the next best tool that whatever, you know, whoever is making it out there. You know, you start with the basic Mora knife is really all you need. Mm-hmm. Like Mark yeah. was saying, I, I spent such a long time with my Mora's before I was able to get to, you know, buying a Robin Wood or even Nick Equestrian, which I have, but... Now I'm like, oh, I want to make my own tool. So let's yeah. just go make one. <laughs>
2: yeah, and that, that's exactly is- what brought me to the whole making the tool side of things. Is that sometimes even t- the tools that you wanted either weren't available or out of your price range, right. or and it, or maybe just they weren't fit for not not fit for purpose. That's not the right way to look at it because, like you say, you can make anything work. It's a lot about how you go about it, but just not not fit for the way you want to use them. So if yeah, you then right. got the the ability and the and the opportunity, why not? experiment and make something a bit different and just see see for yourself if if it will do the job that you want it to do i mean the whole the whole reason i came up with the like the two sizes of the spoon score was you know the 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 smaller one is kind of like the ideal all-round tool the -hmm. bigger one i designed the the curve of that blade specifically around this my favorite spoons to carve which was eating spoons so Mm, i do all of my hollowing pretty much across the grain I right, know a lot right. of people will approach it from the front and the back of the bowl and then just sweep out the last piece across i've always just looked at it and well, if you're going to finish it across the grain why not start across the grain so if you look at the mm. sort of like from the tang to the tip if you like there's yeah. a, there's an optimal section on there that if you just hollow an eating spoon to the shape of the blade it, it'll work pretty well as an eating spoon it'll give you about yeah. the right kind of depth and the right kind of curve to make it comfortable as a generic yeah, okay. you know, obviously there's all sorts of different types of eating spoon but in a you know in a, in a generic way as possible it just works and i i sort of appreciated having a knife that would do that
3: mm, yeah
2: you could just chase this chase the same shape and and get right. a really nice smooth finish without having to take too many different approaches you know angles of approach to it so yeah. right right and i yeah, do I, I might go in other directions with it now i've got sort of like full full control back over how I how I go about doing it I'm quite mm, quite keen yeah. on developing on developing one for for specifically for cup carvers yeah because um, again one of the guys I met at the first spoon fest was Paul Adamson who I've been become good friends with over the years mm, yeah and you know obviously he's got a bit of a a bit of a specialty in that in yeah, that he's, side he's of things the cup now guy. So there's so, there's so many good, so I've got a list of names here. People,
1: <laughs> I know, people it's crazy. Mentioning. Don't worry, Mike, Mark is writing them all down. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to put them in the show notes. So people well, you've, all, you've, you've already done
2: that. You've already obviously spoke to Magnus, but he was one of the, one of the first people who got me inspired to try chip carving. And what really mm, oh, yeah. amused me listening to him was he mentioned Wayne Barton, um, which when I did a video a while ago with Zed about um, the whole, chip carving side of things I, again i'd read one of wayne's books after looking at magnus's spoons and hmm. another guy called simon hill now you may or may not oh gone,
0: yeah yeah i know simon
2: but he he ran a blog um before Spoonfest was a thing and i had been following him so that, again at the first one i'd pre-arranged with him i was going to meet him there and he was at the time he was kind of like um a small small scale trader of of the grand force so i ended up swapping him uh one of the swedish carbon axes for for one of the first batch of the spoon scorps and i think i actually gave him a little bit of money on top at the time just the way (laughs) it was sort of translating um, yeah, but, but he was doing a little bit of chip carving in a very sort of Swedish style, and the, yeah, odd paint, yeah. the odd painted handle as well. And at the time, I was like, painting handles? What are you doing, man? That's, that's ridiculous. You can't paint over wood grain. That's disgraceful. But you know, I've me- I've mellowed a little bit on that now. I've experimented with painting myself. It's it's got its place at times, I guess. Sure. But um, yeah. yeah, so those guys really got me into the the chip carving, and that the chip carving mm. was really what got me playing with steel myself because yeah. Again, Wayne Barton's book took you so far, the kind of knives that he uses are more specific to a whole different type of chip carving, which I found mm-hmm. didn't really suit spoon, you know, the chip carving on spoons, which is why I started right. messing about refining that and making tiny blades that were more appropriate, I think, mm. for chip carving on spoons. So yeah, that was another little, another little journey I went on. <laughs>
1: Hmm. You, you've gone through a lot of journeys from looking at your Instagram. You have so many different yeah. uh, facets to your crafts, you know, from the leather work to, you know, making tools, to bowls. chip carving, to bowls, spoon carving. Yeah. And not not to mention, you also have another Instagram account that you just dedicate to yoga, music, <laughs> breath work, all sorts of things, you know. so
2: There's actually another cool one that's dedicated to building BMXs as well. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. that's I, I've mean. seen that
2: one,
0: actually. Are those your bikes?
2: I, yeah, well, my son got into it. That's how I ended up knackering my knee earlier this year. I used to be MX <laughs> when I was a kid, and my son got into it during the whole like, lockdown thing. We were going out on bikes for a bit of exercise and yeah. you know, ended up ended up buying him a fairly decent one. So I had to, I had to start learning how to repair these things, and they're not nice. cheap. Mm. I mean, yeah. they've never been cheap, oh, yeah. but they're really not cheap these yeah. days. So, Take you know, up welding. I, yeah, well, again, I've, I've, I've just... Just ordered my first welder. that's I've just got to buy the buy the visor, and I'll be I'll be I'll be on the case. Mm. I need to be able to nice. weld. Nice. So, yeah, but it was just one of those things. I've been, since been building wheels and yeah, building by all sorts mm. of things. That was another little. I'm a bit of a hobby. I found it out actually fairly recently through talking to another couple of guys in this whole kind of greenwood arena who had had actually been diagnosed i've more than likely got adhd (laughs) so i think i'm a bit of a hobby collector um you know it it, talking to these guys it really put my whole life into perspective of the difficulties Mm. i've had and it's like ah so it's not just me (laughs) it's (laughs) it's actually a thing and (laughs) i found that a lot quite common yeah, I and say in this in the arena of kind of like green woodworking, you you do see quite a lot of neurodiversity. I guess is the polite term these days. Yeah. But, well, I think we've all ended up. A lot of people have ended up here for similar reasons. It's a bit of a a bit of an escape. A bit of a
3: mm.
2: can be a bit of a solitary pursuit. Yeah. I know. You yeah, know, before I I've only fairly recently got into yoga, um, yeah. but that you know that came about through all sorts of reasons, but really, what i what I realized when I started learning a little bit about meditation was before mm. I knew what meditation was, that's what carving did for me. Mm-hmm. You, yes. you, know, you totally lose yourself. I used to work in a workshop with no windows, um just like the garage tacked mm. on the side of the house. and i'd see, I'd go out there after dinner, and then before I'd looked at the clock again, it was like one two in the morning, and this was when I was <laughs> working full time doing a doing a different job. And it's, like, yeah. oh, I really should go to bed, but you've got those those hours have just gone,
1: and yeah, haven't yes. thought
2: yes. or worried about another thing,
1: yeah so it's it's a meditative therapy. practice in itself, right Absolutely. I mean i my wife tells me all the time you have a d a d you know a d h d you're you just can't sit still, I'm like, yeah, I know my mind is everywhere all the time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this but what i'm doing when I'm doing work with my hands and I'm on the, you know over the anvil or just carving something, I am totally. Focused and living in the moment, and nothing is going on. Yeah, and it's 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 the best meditative practice I can ever think about doing. Because I tried to meditate, and I fall asleep, or my mind is thinking <laughs> about doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it just never works for me.
2: <laughs> no, and that's the thing because it because you're not occupied. You know, you're right. you're trying to you're trying to calm your mind and actually it's just gonna do it's just gonna race off with all these ideas man, yeah. you could be doing That's
1: exactly what happened every time. Yeah,
2: well there you go. So who needs a diagnosis, eh? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> unless
2: just unless, be you needed, you. unless you
1: need a just be time. you, Lee, just be you.
2: Yeah, absolutely and this is the thing. It's, you know, a lot of people in the world today I think will will get these sort of diagnoses of various sort of conditions, however you wanna put it, and maybe try and use it as an excuse for not Mm. functioning in the world. And to Mm. me, just talking to people who have had similar experiences and realizing that you might have something that you know affects the way you interact with other people and the in the world at large. It's no longer an excuse. It's just a helpful explanation to give you some tools to Hmm. try and deal with stuff and appreciate the way that you can sort of conduct yourself and engage in maybe different ways and 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 just get more out of life in general. Right. Right. That's kind yeah of we're life. not
1: trying obviously we're not trying to minimize you know the mental health issues that not
2: at all that are, that are no. serious
1: and there's some some people that need help, but absolutely, yeah. I think there are some things that you can do um to help yourself
2: without uh, without a doubt so, and, yeah. yeah all every mental health issue is is a real you know experienced thing you know it doesn't i I've been through all sorts of different episodes of stuff i don't think I've ever had anything particularly like seriously debilitating if that makes sense mm-hmm. and obviously there are a lot right. of people who are paralyzed by it and it's it must be horrendous I can I've sort of had a taster of it I guess is the right. way the best way to explain that and like yeah, you say yeah, there's yeah. there's going to be people that really do need assistance in, in getting out of those places but finding sure. something to to take your mind off of it and 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 be fulfilling I think Magnus explained it better than I could in the way that he's his, his, you know, his sort of spiritual approach towards it is it's something I was not in touch with at all until I sort of found yoga fairly recently. And they're not directly related, but they kind of are at the same time. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's given me that that kind of insight into the connectedness. You know, I've always enjoyed the whole being in nature thing after spending the time in the woods with Mike again, having never been in the woods for any prolonged period of time like that before. Right. I immediately came home and started searching like woodlands for sale um, <laughs>
3: nice. and ended
2: up my nan at the time had sort of downsized the house into one of these kind of sheltered accommodations and ended up giving all the grandkids a few thousand pounds before she died mm. rather than just sort of like leaving it in a will and I yeah, spent her. I spent mine on a, on a little tiny share of it in a woodland fairly local oh, nice. to me so nice. and it's, it's you know you go there and you can close the gate behind you it's not massive you know you wouldn't get lost in it but you can lose yourself in it you can take Mm. yourself out of the out of the rat race connect with nature again and that that again is massively sort of restorative and recharging and all Mm. sorts of good things whether you just take an instrument or a yoga mat or an axe and a knife whatever it's just go down there light a fire switch off and engage with the other side of The other side of life that a lot of people are just so disconnected from they don't even realize it exists which is really sad
1: yeah that's the foundation that's this that's the side of life that we all came from and we need to connect with again i mean that's the problem i think we've gone so far in the other direction that um it's creating a lot of issues for us you know whether it's uh health issues or mental health issues or whatever it is i think we definitely need to connect back with that that side
2: yeah yeah, without a doubt. I mean, wherever you come at it from a religious angle or a scientific angle, you've got to—I suppose—you've really got to accept that they kind of agree on the fact that we all started from one place, and <laughs> therefore we are all connected. So mm-hmm. to remove, you know, to put all the division in place, I think, yeah. you know, there's been times in this whole woodworking career that I've felt quite alienated, and I've felt. Mm. um a little bit disrespected i suppose and you know people sort of take your ideas and run with them but then, are not since i've discovered yoga it's like no this that's not what it's about it's about sharing everything so having mm-hmm, a much more yeah. open there's people who try to cover information i think and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff it's just like no that that's not going to win long term that's not yeah not what yeah. it's about you've just got to put it out there for everybody to share um yeah. and i think that's that's kind of what my new approach is yeah whatever whatever I know is universal knowledge Uh, the way I've stumbled upon it I might have paid someone for it I might have might have come to me in a dream I might have read it in a book it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. it's there now and it's it belongs to everybody
1: I think yeah Yeah, absolutely that's
2: where social media has been a real a really good thing in a way to be able to share stuff and then it can also be quite a debilitating thing in giving you all these kind of like imposter syndromes and, and, yeah. and right. in, inadequate, yeah. you know, pictures on yeah, the internet are very, very powerful things. I <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a double edged sword. That's for sure. It's a double edged sword. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of good bads to social media and I always have this, <laughs> this ongoing internal conflict about getting rid of my Instagram, keeping my Instagram, getting rid yeah. of my keeping my Instagram, and it's really hard. It really is hard. Um, But I think I, I, I do, I do like that. We have one big community. Like you know, if you if you think about the Greenwood community, it wasn't always like this. It has grown, you know, so much in the last few years. And it's really nice to be able to connect and talk with people from all over the world and share things. Um, yeah. And when I first started, people were very very helpful. You know, anybody I asked a question on Instagram, whether it was Jared Dow, you know, Reed Schwartz, um, anybody would always get back to me and you know and help me, which is astonishing to me. It's like wow.
2: Yeah,
3: but that's how it should be. They're not be, trying to make
1: they? money. They're just trying to help.
2: Yeah, obviously time time comes into that as a factor. You know, you, right. you, if you get, like Magnus was saying, he gets a lot of emails that he can't necessarily fulfill the the, the requests right. of these people. But right. you don't have to ignore them either. I always, you know, it might take time, but I always try and respond to emails if I get them, if I get requests for information. It's just like, be open, be, be kind. And, and you'll get it back. You might not get it back, I think, from the places you expect it from. That's, I think mm-hmm. that's the difference I've realized fairly recently. You can invest in people. You can put a lot of energy out there with a with an expectation of how mm-hmm. that comes back to you. But if you just try and accept that it will come back somehow and it might be sure. when you least expect it and from a totally different angle to so that you'd mm-hmm. hoped, but it does. It comes back. I don't know people call it karma, whatever.
1: Yeah,
2: it's, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a thing. You know, there's there's yeah. not really any coincidences, yeah, I don't
1: think, in the sure. world. <laughs> if you do good, good will come to you eventually.
2: That's what I'm aiming for. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: The On the topic of social media, I, I noticed, uh, I feel like I remember you taking a break for a period. I, I, there was a period where I just remember not seeing many posts from you. Yeah, um, I've done
2: it a couple of times.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm currently on one of those, uh, sp- whatever you call it, um, phases yeah phases there we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and it's been interesting i just uh i don't know it was maybe five or six weeks ago i just I, well i realized i was wasting a lot of time that's um, it and i was just like well i'm just going to delete the app off my phone and just focus because i got you know piles of stuff i need to do outside of that and um it wasn't helping me achieve any of my goals by looking at it mm-hmm. so it'll uh, still be there when you come back <laughs> yeah, exactly and it's right. been interesting to just delete the app off my phone um yeah. i stopped thinking about it um nice and i uh, get to the end of the day and you know be getting ready to wind down and just think hmm yeah i didn't even you know, i didn't even think that i should go look at instagram and um and it's i don't know if you've have you seen lee there's a i guess you kind of call it a documentary or show or whatever it was on uh netflix uh it was real popular the past year called the social um was it called the social network or no? The uh, shoot. I'm blanking on the name of it. A uh, little, sh- but it was a basically a little I, I, documentary is the word I guess I would use. Um, yeah. Uh, and it was just showing kind of how social media has been designed to, uh, especially Facebook and Instagram, um, to kind of capitalize on your attention. Absolutely. And that the whole platform is, you know, for for better or worse, is. You know is using you, you're basically the product. Um, and so sort of farming your attention to sell you advertisements essentially. I mean, that's kind of their business model, right? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, yeah, because they they're never used to. When I started Instagram, there was no, there was no advertising on it, right. right? Um, but exactly, that's why these things are free. They can't, there's no such thing as free, is there? It can't be free forever right. so they right. get you they get you hooked and then they start yeah. oh, selling sure. this stuff and then they start looking yeah. at your facial expression through the front camera on your phone and working out where yeah. you're yes. is not like it. it's all yes. it goes deep that's the trouble and it does all, you know, go deep you, yeah you that's go the scary part proper <laughs> rabbit holes but you can switch it yeah. off you don't have to engage in these things that's, right i do you the gotta same have as you. control yeah just you gotta have the control. App for a period of you time just delete control. it and say do you know what i'll go on there when i'm ready again and I think if i've got something to offer i'll go on i try i can let you get hooked on it and be scrolling and realize oh yeah. a bit like when i used to carve a lot oh there's an hour gone where did that go but it's nothing <laughs> nothing productive happened in that hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. so that's right. the, i guess that's the time to unsubscribe a little bit
0: yeah um, yeah but
2: yeah it'll it's an tight. interesting it'll still be
0: it's an interesting balance as you know especially as a craftsperson that cause Instagram is undoubtedly a great place to meet potential customers. Right. Um, yep. Cause it's just, I mean, it's a visual marketing platform essentially. Right. So I guess where I'm at personally is trying to figure out, you know, what kind of, how do I want to be doing my woodwork and mm-hmm. how, cause it's not really, I mean, I make a little bit of money every year from my woodworking. Um, and most of that's honestly is in uh, you know, face to face events where I have a booth and I'm, um, yeah talking to people and selling stuff face to face right my online stuff is pretty nominal so i've just kind of taken a back seat on the whole thing and just kind of reassessing like how does it fit into my woodwork and and just sharing you know because it's i don't know it's just an, it's a something that's on my mind and i noticed uh that it seems like it's probably on your mind based on the fact that you take a break from it and yeah um but yeah it's something i don't think that is talked about much i know there's people like uh, emmett von Dries who does a lot of uh almost like he's almost like the life coach for Floyd <laughs> <laughs> entrepreneurs or something is. <laughs> if you've ever listened to his podcast um yeah and he's got you know he's got a good perspective on how you can really use it to benefit your business mm-hmm. um and you know share share your story that is kind of like the marketing i guess for your product yeah. um, but anyway i just want to get your um you know kind of what's your what's your feeling with um using it you know to sell things but also you know not letting it take over your life
2: well my experience of selling things on there has been it doesn't it doesn't work for me
0: um mm-hmm. if
2: I've, had, I've on a few occasions like some people do put a spoon up or a tool up and said like dm me whatever uh, yeah out yeah. of x amount a thousand followers you might get one or two messages and the, yeah. they're, they're not even really offering you any money so i would have mm-hmm. said it is it's very good for brand building perhaps and for drawing some attention to what you're doing. I think as a, di- I, again, I'm not any kind of expert on these things, but as a direct marketing tool, I don't know, maybe maybe there is apps that you can attach to it where that would work. I've got, mm-hmm. you know, there's a link to my shop on my bio, for example. I guess the other people click on that. But right. I think I, I from what you were saying about if you can go, if you can sell locally and you actually sell, that's by far the mm-hmm. most satisfying. Talking to your customers face-to-face yeah. Is, yeah. is pretty it's amazing. Fun. Um, yeah. You know, emails are good. To, you know, telephone conversations. Obviously, you know, I've talked to people all over the world and had various sorts of correspondence, which is which is great. But faith there's nothing better than face to face, really, if you can, yeah. if you can achieve yeah. it. Um, and then, other than if you, I think online, the most the most success really, the most engagement you get is through a like a newsletter subscription. If mm-hmm. you can get people yeah. to double double opt in to want to hear from you. Right. Then they genuinely do. You know, they've not yeah, done right. that by accident. You can scroll past stuff, can't you? You can click the like button. You can yeah, even leave right. a comment. And I think that that's the bit. If someone leaves a comment, they're a little bit invested. If they're just scrolling right. by and oh, you know, that it sort of registers for half a second or whatever, like like mm-hmm. the way it works. I, I I really I'm not sure, but that be, that could be because I'm not consistent. And that you know I'm sure that. Plays into the algorithm and who it shows it to, how often, right. um, and how engaged people are. I've noticed some of the most. Do you, either of you guys follow um, Hazel Valley Birds?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
2: Now, he's quite local to me, that guy, lovely guy. I met him at the museum when I was forging, and he'd seen my either Instagram or YouTube, came along and introduced himself, and I made him a little knife. Um, if you look at his account, right? He's, I, can't, I don't know. I haven't looked that recently. I don't know how many followers he's got. The last time I looked, he had around sort of 10, 11,000 followers. But if you looked at the likes and the comments on every post, they right. were like 1,000 likes and loads and loads of positive comments. Because wow, his man. engagement, was I think, because his engagement was pretty consistent, maybe two, three posts a week, always yes, along yes. a similar theme, no deviation. Sure. And, it's right. again, you're feeding an algorithm and you're giving people, I guess, the kind of eye candy that they're looking for and Mm -hmm. like you said that is exactly how those platforms are designed to show you what you want to see and get you to interact with that yeah Yeah. i think it's a lot about how you use it really
1: just just saying going back to what you were just saying about his comment section and and likes and the amount of followers he has for me hearing the numbers that you just shared or just thinking about it just makes me very overwhelmed and anxious (laughs) as a maker as a maker how could i allocate enough time in my day to either respond to comments or whatever it is that i'm doing you know cuz i feel like the engagement has to be you know there for me to to respond to all the dms and you know write back uh, on the comment section or like somebody's comment that in itself is like a full time job
2: it could be, yeah. That's why a lot of you, you see know, celebrities; they they either hire people or they just don't do yeah. comments. It's as simple as that. You right. couldn't,
1: could you? Right. No, it's just it's so overwhelming. It's like, how can you get to that point of just because then you're just spending so much more time on Instagram doing doing uh, you know fanfare uh, <laughs> yeah gatherings. You know, administrative work. Just, yeah, administrative work or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's it's kind of hard. I don't know if I would want to get to that point.
2: No, I think it depends how organic the following is. So I've been following Matt for a long, long time. And yeah. his following is what I would call fully organic. It's, you know, he's not one of these people who's signed up for a of some promotion and bought followers <laughs> and have got, you know, a thousand of those followers of bots that don't even exist as real entities.
3: Right, right, but
2: right. obviously there are accounts like that. So I, the numbers I don't think really count. From, I think the numbers that count are followers and then percentage of followers right. to likes and comments is yeah, yes. how engaged yes, yes. people are and it's pretty if you look at mine there's like the engagement to number of followers is really low mm-hmm. um it used to be higher but then i used to be more consistent on there so i do think it's right. very much how how engaged you are how consistent yeah. you are and yeah, yeah, how yeah. much you want that to be like you say part of your life do you want to be like fielding comments all day or yeah. what an x amount of time of a a day or week to it. it, That's, that's the the important question to ask, I guess, really. Yeah. The
1: newsletter, the newsletter idea that you mentioned earlier, I think is the one that can kind of dilute that a little bit because then you're, you know, that the, the person on the other end of the screen has to do the work of putting in their email address and really wanting to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And I think that would, that would really help, you know, kind of weed out the ones that are just following just to see something or that are, or the people that are following, because they're actually really interested in the amount, you know the work that you're doing and the things that you have to say, and you know when you do send a newsletter out and there may be a product or two on there, they're the ones that are more likely to purchase that product.
2: Yeah every time they're, they're yeah. definitely the ones that i mean that, that want to hear from you mm-hmm. and then then of yes. course the, there's a balance to that i mean i'm really lax i i send very few newsletters out and i get pestered like when you know <laughs> why haven't we heard from you sometimes <laughs> but then there's other people that i'm sure send them out two three times a week and end up alienating oh, yeah. people that way so there's always going to yeah. be a balance to find but yeah, just yeah. getting some names on that list that want to hear from you i think is probably one of the most one of the most important things you can ever do from a marketing perspective, and how you say so right. how you um, encourage those people to do that, that's where the likes of social media, I think, comes in. And what you put out, you know, depends on how, how engaged they want to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense.
2: So,
1: yeah, it's it a going? fascinating world.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I definitely struggle with that aspect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I>, it's <laughs> weird too. It's, it shouldn't feel like a struggle. It's just, I don't know, yeah. there's something about it.
2: I, yeah, yeah. a lot of the time i just i just think of it as like it's quite a handy timeline it's quite nice it's almost like a like a diary. you want to use it a bit like a diary if i've done something that i think is yeah, worth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, worth yeah. sort of recording take a picture whack it on instagram if you know if anything else goes wrong that's probably still going to be there
3: <laughs> right, right <laughs> somewhere right. down yes, the yes. road as a,
2: as a bit of a record of oh yeah i did that then because i forget yeah. you know I, I taught myself something fairly recently it was amusing i, I don't know if, when we were talking about sharp stuff i meant to i meant to give sean a bit of a plug because mm. in the like last year it's that it's been out a little while now but my friend sean hellman he oh he, Hell yeah he, i was a bit incredibly flattered when he asked me if i'd give his give his book a once over before he published it mm, um, yeah. and i got to a section of it it's a superb book by the way everybody everybody who owns a tool should should own a bee you definitely should talk to sean but you should also definitely be ordering a copy of that book it's like an encyclopedia if it Mm. if it can be sharpened it will explain how (laughs) Mm, (laughs) basically in detail but but yeah bottom line is i was going through that and he took got to a bit where he talked about um sharpening auger bits you know like hand,
3: hand
2: augers And I thought, oh, I did a video with Zed about that a while ago. (laughs) So I I went back and I watched the video to see if it corroborated with what Sean was saying in the book. And I was actually quite impressed because I'd forgotten half the things I'd said in that video, but they were reasonably (laughs) accurate to what Sean was saying in the book. (laughs) So I was like, okay, you you kind of had a bit of an idea about that back then. And (laughs) it's it's weird. So, So having, again, having that. Social media has been quite useful for me on that front. If you do, if you are a bit of a hobby collector and you do do lots of
1: different things, you can You mm, can only yeah. hold on
2: to so much information for so long. Yeah. So And then having a record of it perhaps doesn't perhaps doesn't do any harm.
1: Yeah, I love I love your videos, especially the ones you did with Zed. I think your uh, the spoon carving videos and how to handle a knife video. Those were probably the first videos I watched when I got into Greenwood working, You know how well, to how to you know I tried handling my own uh, knife or. Uh, uh, card my first spoon and we would love to have that on the podcast i think i think what he's done for the Greenwood woodworking uh, community and all the videos that he's released whether it's uh, you know bull turning videos with sharif or yoav uh, yeah. or your videos i think those have been for me like i have them saved on my youtube and i i try to refresh my uh, my knowledge and memory and constantly go back and review those videos if i'm doing something related to whatever is in there so i think i think those videos are phenomenal
2: Thanks very much. No, they scared the hell out of me to begin with, I'll be honest. <laughs> that first one we did on spoon carving, he, he, I met him for a friend of mine, Jill Swan. She did, I think, the very oh, yeah. first yeah. Carver Spoon video. And yeah, I, don't know if, yeah. I don't know if mine was a second or the third, but anyway, I, you know, got put in touch with him through Jill. and I, I'd never met him before when he came up and I, I didn't really know what to make of it but I was so nervous I didn't I oh, I'm tripping over my words I thought anyway and then <laughs> and I remember him he, like messaging me saying right I'm publishing the video tonight and my wife would tell you I was sat here like shaking sweating <laughs> like what is what is this going to look like i would never i would never put my face out there before like that And yeah, yeah. absolutely but the, again, the feedback I've had from that, people coming up to me at shows and obviously I've never met before. Oh, I watched your video and it got me into carving and this, that, and the other. And it's just like, oh, that's
3: awesome. it's that's such great.
2: a crazy, humbling experience to think that, yeah. you know, it's reached that many people and been that helpful. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. on that note, just so that I never, that I don't forget, I want to give some credit there really, because the guy that inspired that in a way was a, a, another friend of mine called Martin Damon. Mm. he, I've got a local kind of art center which is where this turning club was and back in the day, we i got asked when I was fairly new to green Wordworking. really, I got asked if I would yeah. put on some courses there. And I, again, I didn't really feel qualified to teach. But I thought, well, I know, you know, I know more than somebody who's never done it before. So yeah, why yeah. not? But I drafted in some help from some friends at the time and Martin came along and did the spoon carving element because I was too busy doing other bits and pieces. So mm. these courses were designed to be free um, to you know, more disadvantaged people, I guess. And they opened up to like homeschool kids. There's, we yeah. had a really diverse group of people, but that wouldn't necessarily have gone and paid to do a course. So yeah. I ended up sitting in on his spoon carving course. And up until then, I'd just been grabbing a piece of wood and hacking at it until it looked vaguely <laughs> like a spoon. I had no particular <laughs> method or way of approaching it. And he was like the total opposite. He was like, we get a lug, we split it, we we make the plank, we make a plank out of it, and then we measure it. He, it was like military precision. He literally had you me measuring it down <laughs> to the millimeter. And I did that and I went through that process and I thought, oh, why are we doing why are we going all this detail? It seems a bit, but then at the end, the whole class had a really uniform, not they were all different designs, they had different templates, but they all had a really fun mm-hmm. people who never picked up a knife before. I, yeah. I think I you know, I sort of carved a couple of spoons in between. Stages waiting for people to catch up because I'd had a bit of experience at that point, but there was people right. who had literally never picked up a knife before, and we all yeah. came out with a really well-carved, functional spoon because we'd followed this mm. set of instructions. Yeah. And and at that point, I I kind of adopted that system and I, I I relaxed it quite a lot. I never I never did get a ruler out again and measure stuff, but yeah the basic principle of like cleave it, axe it to a plank, cut the crank into it see what you've got to work with and then position a template or draw a design around features right. in the timber give yourself a little bit of room for for mistakes to happen and I, again yeah. I, I guess i ended up putting my own spin on it a little bit but that that first video that i did was Zed was all, all pretty much based on on his on his teaching as much as anything
3: yeah. so yeah, again yeah. it's
2: yeah, you know, people hmm. might have heard about it from me, but I didn't come up with it. And he probably did. He probably learned it from somebody
1: else. Yeah, sure, sure. It <laughs> so, reminds me of the video. It reminds me of the video that Zed did with, with Adam Hawker. I think I watched that. You know, the spoon carving video he did with Adam Hawker. And in that video, Adam goes into just like so much detail about the process and you know measuring things and drawing a center line. And I'm like, wow, I've never done that when I carved a spoon. I wonder if that would work for me. Yeah. I tried it once or twice and then I kind of relaxed it way too much and I'm just back to doing whatever. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, there's nothing wrong. It doesn't look like you're yeah. struggling from the pictures on your Instagram. You look like you're doing all right to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find I find that like planning to I've never been I've never been a planner, you know. That's one thing my wife really struggles with. She's like you never plan for things. I'm like, you know, I just kind of dive in and just make mistakes and learn from them and then the next time I do it, it'll be better. I just I'm not the type that's going to sit down and sketch something or Write the process i just start doing it and learn as i go and i find that to be very enjoyable uh, yeah. the very enjoyable the most enjoyable rather part of learning and, and doing crafts by hand
2: yeah me too design and build approach I, uh, I might draw a picture as i'm going along if i need to work something out
1: that's <laughs> yeah. like,
2: but I, you know i've built structures with with nothing but an idea in my head and some a pile of timber nice. they're still standing nice. you know it's like you learn, <laughs> like you say, you learn as you go and yeah. you make you make the mistakes and you learn the lessons so you right. could plan it for a week and still not come across some of the some of the challenges that you're going to encounter. Oh, it's you?
0: so true. Yeah. That is, that is that is probably one of the greatest lessons of planning. You have to plan to not really know how the plan's going to go. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Absolutely, yeah. You always you're always going to have to what, what was one of the best ones I think I I don't know if I could, like coined the phrase or someone else did, but a redesign opportunity, you know, when something goes mm. wrong, it's like, Well, what's it going to be now? The amount of like you know, cooking spoons <laughs> that have turned into teaspoons over the years because you get something <laughs> wrong, so there's feel something left, you know, yes. a, scenario, a kindling or a toothpick, isn't it? So there's always yes. somewhere to go with it, I guess.
1: I've had, I've had lots of those. Oh, I can still do this with this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well,
1: that's it. I've had lots, of, yeah, yeah,
2: but yeah. Like that's you say, good. watching Adam's video. Again, yeah. I'd, I I think I'd met him by then. I I use one. He's, he's literally one of the one of the best out there. I think I, I use one of oh, his things yeah. daily. Um, <clears throat> and watching his technique, there was obviously similarities, but it was it was his. You know, in terms of I get I don't know if he came up with it or learned it from someone else, but he got all of those processes, and yeah. they get you from a log to a spoon in a fairly predictable way. Right, and right. that's because he used to teach it or you know still does teach it doesn't he so you've got to be out of teaching is one of the most important things in learning I think when you try and pass on a skill that you've come by what by hook or by crook you know someone showed you it, <laughs> put your own spin on it but then when you try and explain it to someone else I think that's when you really learn what you're doing because yeah. you've got to you've got yeah. to translate it and you might have to translate that not into another you know into a visual language from a written or a spoken language you know you, yeah. you demonstrate it someone someone will understand if you just do it in front of them someone could yeah. watch that and then need a full like verbal run through as well and so mm-hmm. teaching right. small groups of students i found was again scary because you're working with sharp tools but incredibly satisfying because <laughs> yeah. you you really start to understand what and how you understand certain certain subjects
0: yeah, yeah it's so it's so true it i mean is. that I've found that time and time again when I try to teach something, I learn it's almost like you learn more about what you're teaching because you have to think about it in a way that's understandable to someone that doesn't know what you're talking about for like sure yeah. you almost you almost learn like a whole new angle of that that subject yeah for sure
2: absolutely yeah um,
0: now uh I'm looking at these photos, you built a nice little um like a round pole timber framed structure, it looks like
2: yeah yeah that was a wing in it that was go to the woods cut some yeah. trees down and then me and a friend of mine david um he actually came oh, years ago he, he contacted me he, he already bought one of the one of the early scorps but then he contacted me a year or so later saying could he come on us like a one-to-one spoon carving course i was like yeah of course and add him mouth <laughs> for the then we really hit it off he's, he's an incredible guy he's uh you know a wildlife photographer and uh bushcraft tracker really 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 well experienced and qualified but incredibly humble um and he ended up sort of coming on a fairly regular basis and just helping me out with jobs sort like learning from each other but we built yeah we built that all together between the two mm. of us. and other than a chainsaw to take the trees down all of that was processed by hand all the mm. joints were hand cut we, we did cut a couple of experimental joints and worked out that if we went with my like the first idea, it was going to take like even more months than it already did. <laughs> <laughs> so we went with a slightly simplified version. But yeah, that, I spend so much time out there now. It's like my go-to place. It just hangs off the back of the house. My hammocks strung up between two of those uprights. That are like mm. eight months of the year, I've only just come indoors actually fairly recently since we started getting crosses <laughs> overnight. Um, but it's still, nice. yeah, it's it's That's a beautiful so cool. space. Really nice light yeah. under there, and yeah, I I love it. Literally, love that's it. awesome. I'd recommend Great. it <laughs> if you got the resources. Build yeah. yourself one.
0: So. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, now, did you ha- do you have a, a background doing like carpentry at all?
2: Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, my earliest experience of woodwork was just messing about building like balsa wood aeroplanes as a kid. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, didn't do much for a long time until I got into floor laying. So, I apprenticed in the print trade, which was at the time it was quite a manual hands-on hmm. job using knives funny enough to cut masks and stuff it's like a photographic process hmm. um, but then that kind of got digitalized and boring mm-hmm. and so i was looking for something to do with my hands and ended up um working with a friend of mine who was a floor layer so we were fitting carpets and sort of laminated wood floors and all sorts of stuff and i did that for about 10 years so that was like the yeah. next event okay. so i ended up buying a lot of power tools um yeah at that point and i remember back in the day watching you must know norm abram like the new yankee workshop um, yeah, come across yeah. him. right i, I yeah. was fascinated by that program and i always wanted this big workshop full of power tools <laughs> and i've never had the space for it and i've got the ba- the very basic amount of power tools that i need now really but as yeah. soon as i discovered the like the hand tools that mm. the ne- less noise less dust yeah, um, yeah. you know more environmentally friendly side of things it just it right. just made so much more sense to me than making noise and dust you know so yeah. where possible now unplug <laughs> yeah you know take take an edge to a piece of wood rather than something that's spinning at a million miles an hour so uh, like, yeah, rub, yeah. rub it into a shape but there is yeah. a there's a time and a place for that as well don't get me wrong i do i do sand things now i was very strict about that for years
3: <laughs> i think
2: no sandpaper ever would, would go near anything i made because that didn't demonstrate any kind of skill but it's got its <laughs> place you know now the yeah. the finish on all the handles i make i i I rough them out on a bandsaw then I hand carve them with a draw knife but then yeah. I sand I sand the finish on them because it's far more of a comfortable grip that it gives it's yeah. quite a coarse I sand for about 80 grit and it's on a you know mm. it's on a worn piece I said like the finishing process is on a worn piece but it it kind of just puts that extra surface texture on there that, that makes it a nice grippy surface yeah. really mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah and coupled Agreed. with the facets that yeah. just stop it Rotating in your hand. I mean, if you watch one of Zed's latest videos with Peter, another another guy that kind of I've had some involvement with over the years. He came on courses with me and and you know just happened to sort of learn from, but agree with a lot of what I was saying and, and take it on board. And he's developed his own way of doing things now. But you know along the same lines, the, the facets came to me from another really great spoon carver I met at Spoonfest called Werner Fuchs. And if you come across oh, yeah. him, he, he's not been he works for another guy french guy called cyril Samani now and they make knives on occasion but huh. i remember being absolutely blown away by his work and he, he'd sometimes yeah. buy blades and handle tools and we we traded spoons i think at one of the spoon fests and i was like huh. you know i'd really love one of your handles um because obviously i'd seen his tools there and i send ended up sending him a couple of blades i said right. you keep one and you stick a handle on the other one and you send it back for me and that's that's like mm. the trade and it's to this day you know one of the one of the best handles i've ever had on a tool and it's got huh. these really extreme facets they really used a piece of um what was it it's a stabilized burl of some kind mm-hmm. and it, it's got bolsters on each other. really you know really pretty thing there's pictures of it mm. on my instagram it stands yes. out um i was like oh this is really you know the edges of this these facets are really sharp surely this isn't going to be comfortable (laughs) um and it was and i was amazed at how actually increased the comfort of the tool and i was Mm. thinking i was gonna have to take these edges back but no i didn't so again nothing that i really do is originally mine it's all bits that i've sort of brought together and developed that other people have cut there's been so much input from other people in what i do and so you know he's another one that i've got to say a big thank you to really because he just opened my eyes to like well that things can be that shape and that sharp and really Mm -hmm. be comfortable and and of a benefit. So yeah, that's kind of the, the way the handles are now comes Mm. back to that eye
0: opener. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. How we were talking, I think we talked about that with Magnus. Um, you know, there's this idea floating out there in the Sloyd realms of, um, like a signature design. I think we we were talking about the, uh, the canoe spoon or kayak, yeah. whatever you call it, kayak Ooh. spoon yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and how there's people that have claimed it's like their design. And uh, right. it's just, it's a funny, that's a funny thing I have noticed over the years, like, right. you know, people claiming that it's their design or like they're yeah. the first person to do X or Y. Um, right. Cause it realistically, probably not.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, and even if you believe that you can, but you know, I could believe that the reason spoon scorps are a thing was because I, bought them to market, if you like. But, you know, a guy sent me a picture from a a Sorby catalogue from the 1800s, and there was a a non – not a dissimilar tool. It wasn't for spoon carving. I think it was a turning tool because it was on a really long Mm. handle and quite a small – you know, not like as small as the hooks that you use for bowl turning now, but it obviously had its use back Mm -hmm. in the day. And it's not the same thing, but it, it, it was the only tool I've ever seen that had the blade in line with the handle, whereas any other scorp I'd seen was kind of cranked down from mm. the handle, um, but again, yeah, it's the, the nearest thing. I actually, when I did my research, the nearest thing I found to it was a farrier's tool called called a loop mm. knife or a hoof mm. knife. And mm, they were yeah. either like a spoon hook or they were a full loop. But they tend to go yeah. to a bit more of a point on the end. But I even yep. went to a local farrier's shop and thought, well, is there any point in me making these if they already exist and I can mm. just, you know, resharpen them to carve spoons instead? But they weren't, they weren't quite right, you know. And there's yeah, there's, there's spoon knives different. on the market that look great but yeah. they don't work quite right. The shape isn't quite right for a lot of what you want to do with them. Yeah. Um, so, but like you say, original ideas, I, I don't know. I think there's just yeah. universal knowledge out there and how mm-hmm. how and when we tap into that yeah. is, might be a little bit coincidental, but yeah, to try and then yeah. claim ownership over it. I think, well, I just think it's detrimental, really. I don't think it's yeah, good good. Is. in favor of them. I know I've beat myself up over yeah. similar issues and thinking, oh, that's my idea. And it's like, well, yeah. Someone else had it as well. What's the big deal? You know, it's like, didn't two people come up with a telephone at the same time and one of them got in it? It's
1: it's just the way the
2: world works, isn't it? You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: I I just looked up the Farrier tool. I've I've, I've never really seen one of those, but it's interesting because there's a lot of similarities. Probably a similar process to make the blade. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're not less refined. They're not, they're not, I mean, they are a cutting tool, but they're not for cutting the hollow in a spoon there for taking muck out of a horse's hoop so
3: right they are different
2: i mean you can pay a lot of money for a custom one i did look into that i thought well maybe there's another angle i can come at this
3: oh interesting huh, <laughs> because again
2: yeah. that's this, you know farrier in over here is it's a sort of a double-edged double-edged game there's like the practical side of it but there's also right. you know, people who tend to own horses in this country oh yeah are, are right. fairly well off so you know oh, their yeah. farriers probably earn decent money as well so they can afford to spend on, on nice <laughs> <laughs> and
3: yeah,
2: you know that that's... that has always been a weird thing you know approaching the tool making from the fact that i'm not my own market you know i, right, I, look, right. at, I look at my tools and it, the price concerns me but it's uh, to begin with, I was giving them away really for the time that was going into them. Like, I can't, yeah, this right. isn't this can't be a job. And there were people, right. oh, you could double the price of that. I said, like, No, I can't, because that's just not right. But then when you actually put look at the time that goes into it, I could double it again and still not be earning, you know, the right kind of money. If you right. but how do you yeah. value your time basically? If I wanted to employ yeah. a solicitor or, you know, someone who's spent a lot of time at university and thinks their hours worth X amount of money and then try to scale that up to what I do. People have right. needed a mortgage to buy my tools. So, <laughs>
1: right. exactly. I,
2: I just had to accept that I'm not my own market. You know, it's like that's yeah. the price that it kind of needs needs to be, should be, ought to be. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I wouldn't be buying one. So they're not, you know, they're not by any means essential. I'm lucky in, in a way that I can make what I need. Yeah. But like you say, you can make do with what else is out there. And the more a spoon yeah. hook will carve a spoon. <laughs>
3: yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> You're better it's developing such- the skill.
0: It's so true though. It's we, you know, as makers, we um we end up making things for people that are in a totally different, you know, they have different financial means, the different, you know, uh, mindset as to why they're buying the thing. Uh, It's really interesting. I I, I've seen that a lot. I have a buddy that's a timber framer, um, Mm -hmm. and he he got well probably have him on this podcast at some point. Yeah, we should. Um, He's super talented, but he he got commissioned to make a um an oak timber driveway <laughs> wow.
1: white oak yeah white, white oak. oak timber driveway. Um, and
0: it wasn't small it had a it had a turnaround loop and um he he said it was just so bizarre to be making this this yeah. thing it's gonna rot it's gonna be slippery yeah. yeah it's gonna be all these things and and that's they were willing to pay for it so you know yeah. for him to keep feeding his family he's he, he goes ahead and does it because he's got the skills to do it and do right. it well. Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting, you know, when you sell your services or your, or your products um, it is always interesting that, cause there's always a compromise, you know, of, yeah. of balancing, you know, what you want what you like to do and enjoy to do with what's a mar- there's a market for, and then yeah. being able to get the price that um, allows you to, to keep doing what you're doing.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference, isn't it? You got to make it sustainable if if your yep. customer base wants it to be, then they have to kind of fund that. And you know, yep. it's a shame not to be able to offer some things to people without without the means, but there are they've got the means for something that will do this do a similar job, I think. That's
3: yeah, that's right. the
2: other way to look at it. You don't have to have fancy tools. I, I didn't no. start with fancy tools and I was producing a reasonable quality of work with what I had mm-hmm. before I was able to either invest or make a better quality of tool to do it with. It I'm not gonna it definitely makes a job easier. And like yeah. you say, when you get to a certain level, you will appreciate the difference. But
3: mm-hmm. if
2: you start out the gate with the best, or you know, even say middle of the range, you, you've kind of missed out on the stages of, of of learning to to mm-hmm. sharpen things, to make them work properly. And you know, a lot of the design, a lot of the cheaper cheaper knives, they're they're old designs that are, are old for a reason. They they do the job. Yeah. They work.
3: Right. They might Absolutely. not
2: be perfect, but you can then put the time into improving them. You know, yeah. it's like those Mora knives tend to have like a hollow outside bevel, don't they? Which, which isn't conducive mm-hmm. to turning in a cup. But you you know, you take a file in a couple of hours and then refine it, and you've got a much more expensive knife in your box. <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You I, put the time into making it more valuable.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I guess that's one of the things we miss by not having that um, economy or culture with the uh, the guilds and kind of the master. apprentice relationship because it was just kind of a free for all. So, you know, if you can afford to get the nicest thing, then that's what you'll start with. And if you can't, then you start with something else. And, um, it's it's interesting. Um, I always encourage people though, to, you know, get the, you know, spend the most you can, but don't spend too much. And with anything, I mean, that's that's true for a lot of things, you know, get, get get the best you can afford, but don't go overboard. right. Make it but, so that now that you bought this one thing, you can't buy another, you know, essential yeah. tool. Yeah. yeah.
2: And there is, there is that old adage, isn't there? I can't afford to buy cheap tools because, you That's know. True you, That's you true, Buy twice, true. or if you're trying to earn your money from them, they're not yeah. going to earn you any money. I made that mistake when I got into the floor lane buying cheap power tools with batteries that yeah. didn't last all day, you know, and you right. couldn't buy spare batteries for them and stuff like that. So, again, I learned my lessons there because I wasted money on tools that were really not fit for the purpose that I bought them for. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I couldn't modify an electric circular saw, could I? <laughs> I can resharpen it. I can resharpen a cheap knife and, and make it work. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. yeah
0: that's it's very true. It's
2: different. It's a different ball game. But it, yeah. Buy you once, say...
1: cry once. <laughs> I like that's that. what, I like that's that. what we say. I haven't heard that. In my job, in my buy job. Buy once, cry yeah, once. Yeah. In my job, we say buy once, cry once. Because yeah. there's, you know, I, I use a lot of tools that, people's lives depend on and i think um in my job setting i'm you know i and i the things that we purchase are like all right this is yeah you might have to use this in a life or death situation so like you cannot afford having a cheap tool right so you you buy it once regardless of how expensive it is because you know this is you're going to be relying on this tool in an emergency situation and it's going to perform how you want it to perform Mm -hmm. so so what sort of situations
2: are you talking about there then
1: so I d- I do a lot of work and I work for a National Park Service uh, right. as a park ranger and uh, I'm more of a game warden. So you know I I tote around a gun and I I respond to a lot of different emergencies, whether it's search and rescue in the wilderness or you know, yeah, um, medical yeah, emergencies, that's... all all sort of stuff. So I yeah, the tools that I use in my job setting are you know, I I never ever cheap out on them. I'm just like. No. You there's, can make there's a situation no a whole for...
2: lot worse with a cheap rescue tool, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> so, like, you, you know, there's no, there's no room for error there. You have to have the best thing uh, when, when the time comes. So, you know, unlike spoon carving, <laughs> you can start with a Mora, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, wait a few years and then upgrade to a Westerman or uh, you know, whatever. A least, yeah, yeah. a least offer. Yeah, least offer or whatever tool maker you, you want to have a tool from.
2: Absolutely. Well, the good news yeah. is there yeah. is a, there is a good selection out there now, isn't there? There is no, Oh, for
1: sure. There's so much, there's so much out there. And I think, I think once you've like, when I first started, I just, you know, I was with the Mora for quite a while and I, it got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I've gained enough skill and I've done this enough now to know, uh, you know, if I do buy a good tool, I'm going to use it, you know, cause mm. you know, if you're starting off and you're going to start for like a few months and then like, don't do it anymore then what's the point of buying a really nice tool and just like never using it again yeah so um but i think once you acquire the skill and you've advanced so far in your craft i think having nice tools that work really well and stay sharp longer and just have a different feel to the handle or the ergonomics or whatever it is i think it's it's nice to have and you know you'll do a better job with a nicer tool Mm -hmm. but acquire the skill first with a cheap tool
2: absolutely i so say i've been, definitely been through the ranks on the tools, and again like it made me chuckle when magnus said about when he sees people rock up with a big rucksack full of you know out the tools <laughs> yeah. and yeah. no, no, but you, you do see it and yeah. So yeah some people can use all of the tools in that bag other one they're just carrying a lot of weight for the sake of it and they don't really understand what they've got in the bag but i like he was saying i'm, I'm looking now i've I recently actually sold my my very first Mora hook to someone mm. at my local kind of bodgers group. Like, you know, mm. I, I've made I remember I made a box for it on one of the videos, said for the, nice. you know just to cover the blade up. And I said, look, mm. I'm you know I'm done with this now. That's that's its story. So I pretty much pretty yeah. much gave it away really cheap, along with a, an axe <laughs> that I wasn't using and a, a straight knife that I wasn't using. It's just like someone there's mm. someone new getting into this, and I want to do the same. I don't carve that much now. Um, yeah. Uh, you know unfortunately and i've got a, a whole workshop full of tools that are kind of gathering dust so i'm I'm looking to do the same it's just like if nice. people need them that's good you know if they're worth money i'll sell them if you know if, if some people just the, the cheaper stuff if they need it and it's just going to do someone a favor then out it goes out into the world to to be used again, rather than right. just sat around being waiting you know waiting to be used maybe one day by me i'll just right. get down to a, one bag hopefully with the necessary elements <laughs> in
1: it that's good and then anything
2: else i need i'll make or experiment with you know so yeah that was a good that was a good ethos and as a reminder to carry on with you know that's that's my intention now is to kind
1: Mm.
3: of
2: pare down a little bit and make space for actually a new set of tools that i'm going to need for Mm -hmm. making tools
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) right yeah yeah. oh yeah the black chatting tools (laughs) that's it (laughs) that's a rabbit hole that's a rabbit hole in itself i'll tell you
2: yeah well it's fascinating listening to you talk about you know like with Joav and and matty about the whole bowl turning hooks thing that i didn't i didn't realize how quick oh it makes sense now but how quick you actually just like wear them out to the point where you have to replace them Yeah. yeah yeah um and the differential tempering thing that was a real real eye opener because i'd seen people at the bowl gathering doing what Matty was talking about doing the whole forging Mm, and then the tempering over the coals and it was like it was a little bit oh did you really want to do that you know i'm I'm (laughs) very specific about how i do my heat treatment and stuff and it's like but it's it's exactly right for the purpose and i because i didn't understand the purpose i didn't understand the process and it's like when i heard him explain it so i it makes perfect sense now why you exactly why you'd want to do it like that
3: yeah Right.
2: Uh, right fascinating absolutely fascinating so again it's, it's really taught me something listening to people i've had a brief encounters with but when you've actually talked to them in detail it's like right. oh yeah i've actually really learned something now so that's
3: awesome
1: yeah we're very happy that we can provide that sort of uh knowledge based uh and technical aspects to, to certain crafts yeah the it's, podcasts it's really where people, fun what people can take from it you know
2: yeah no, I tell you, doing, doing a great service, and I'll say very, very honored that, you know, you yeah. want to come and have a word as well, because...
0: Oh, yeah, man.
2: I, I don't know what people want to hear, but I'm happy for it to be out there, and if it helps somebody out, then that, that, oh, is, for a, sure. that is an absolute bonus.
0: Yeah, we've been getting a lot of really good feedback, um, so it's it's encouraging for us to keep going and, and keep gathering people's stories, because I think the most important thing is just kind of the... yeah people want to hear a personal story about someone that they don't, you know, they kind of know in a real surface level way. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's fun so, to get some of the people on
2: are kind of almost unapproachable in certain circles. It, 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 yeah, yeah, that way have yeah. seemed that way to me and I've, I've hoped I've never come across that way. Certainly, right. you know, if I've been at shows, people seem perfectly comfortable, come up and come up and speak. And I look, I've always engaged with people, but I've been on the other side. I remember seeing Jared at the first boom, because I didn't actually know yeah. who he was. And yeah. I can't, there was something, it's just an air about him that I didn't really, (laughs) didn't really dare talk to him. And it's like, that's so weird now, listening to how approachable he was talking to you guys. Oh, you fool, why didn't you go and and have a chat? But it's just, it's just what it is. So I I did end up chatting to Fred because he already knew Martin. And I'd recently been introduced to Jane Mickleborough at the time as well, because she'd sort of come over um, to see Martin and get involved with Spoonfest as pretty much someone who from what I can remember, hadn't really done a, a lot of carving at that point, so to see the journey that she's been on mm,
3: since, yeah. since
2: then is a- absolutely incredible and, and played mm, a part way. in that, having handled some of the tools, she's actually got the original prototype that Nick made me because it was more of the shape, she had one of the more circular ones that were, that came out oh, earlier. Okay. Nice. Um, and so I, I, I'd I sort of moved away from, they, so they, they all came out different shapes. In the first batch, there wasn't two that matched really, but she yeah she really liked that shape so at one of the more recent spoon fests she ended up saying oh you haven't got another one like that shape have you i said well i have it's literally the very first one but again it was sat around (laughs) i didn't really use it so i was like it'll be in the best hands if you have it
1: (laughs) yeah that's great that's great great
2: all, all goes round
1: that's right all
0: goes round well lee it's been uh Great chatting with you, man. I really, am happy you were able to make it on. I'm happy we were able to get those gremlins out of here. I know. Yeah,
2: big time. I do apologize, I do apologize for my vintage technology, uh, <laughs> oh,
0: messing hello. things up. Good. i
2: still have to look at making some upgrades. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, it's 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 just part of the, It's honestly just part of the experience of yeah trying to communicate over a computer and record it <laughs> so, across
1: across the pond. Yeah, across the, yeah, <laughs> across the planet. Uh, I guess awesome, we should man. be
0: grateful for
2: the opportunity. In a way, it would have been a lot harder a few years ago, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. yeah, we're so happy to have you on. I, you know, and and I'm glad you you, you came across the podcast and uh, you started following on Instagram. I was like, oh, lee offer.
2: Yeah, no, Why me too. So, <laughs> it's literally alien. To, you know, I, I just hadn't heard of it, or if I had, I'd maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it popped up when I wasn't on there. I don't know, but mm. my friend mentioned it. Weird. This yeah. is the weird thing, and this this happens. We have we're having this conversation. I think sat in his van on the way to like a a, a carving meetup and then yeah. two or three days later it popped up on instagram as a you know, people you may know thing and i'm really? sure like, that's happened to me before we have a conversation yeah, yeah. about something and then your phone yeah. just happens to flash it in front of your eyes yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like, oh, of course that's what he was talking about i'll go and have a listen <laughs> so <and> then, yeah <laughs> so that's that really and
0: that's I've, awesome.
2: I've been pretty much on it ever since to be fair <laughs> so it's only a couple <laughs> of weeks ago good
3: uh, yeah, yeah really appreciate enjoy it. It.
0: excellent so our our traditional last question is here it comes um, (laughs) (laughs) you know this one was coming (laughs) what does sloid mean to you lee
2: well there's a good one isn't
0: it well
2: i i remember the first spoon fest uh yogi sort of giving us his his explanation which i think sort of differed a bit from what he said on the podcast so Mm it evolves, doesn't it i i would say if you were to take Mm -hmm. the modern iteration of it, it it kind of means a pointy carving knife doesn't it <laughs> That's
3: mm-hmm. what everyone seems to
2: be referring to at the minute yeah. i looked it up i've looked it up on wikipedia and apparently there's a guy called uno signius in 1865 introduced it as a, <laughs> as a method of teaching handicraft in schools huh? and he's a nice. say that was in finland i believe but finland, yeah yeah. I get, so it is it's a scandinavian thing it's a it's a it was a foreign word to me until spoonfest and since mm. then, it's developed into whatever it means to whoever uses it, I guess. <laughs> so, it is, yeah, it's craft, it's it's this inclusive thing. It, you could relate it to a kind of bushcraft, which I've always thought of, you know, making the best of making the best you can with what you've got. Mm, right. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Just being sort of self-sufficient in a way. Not yeah. necessarily in every way, like feeding yourself off the land or whatever, but just yeah, you know, like say making what you can with what you've got at your disposal. And nice, yeah. Nice. So it's a it's a cool thing. It's a, it's an umbrella term that's it's, it's out it's out there now, and it's I think understood in so many different ways. You, you're never going to get the same answer twice <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> to that question. That's true. Yeah. That's well, true.
0: I I have hope that it'll be a word that um, we can use for long into the future to describe all these different things for mm. sure
2: it's definitely yeah. escaped its origins hasn't it in terms of it being for sure <laughs> a foreign yeah, language you know it's, it it's it's fully out there now in in every kind of well every culture that's had access to it on the internet i guess
0: yeah, yeah. so that's yeah.
2: that's cool in its own way
1: yeah awesome awesome
0: wonderful well thanks so much lee um thank you we'll have to get you back on the show and uh check in down the road sometime yeah, yeah i'd love to um, and i got to get my hands on one of those scorps sometime. That's yeah sounds fun yeah. maybe well, mike's got mike's got to get to making them i know i have to <laughs> now
1: now i'm really gonna start uh trying to make one yeah okay. if people want to find you on the web where where can they go um I know at the minute not very yeah
2: Pro- probably instagram's the best for now um mm. on the on the Stoffer craft account i'd sort of changed that recently to separate it up a little bit from the different things i'm doing but I'll ta- the website i kind of took down because i'm in a bit of a transition for the okay. time being so there will be there will be a new website coming out at some point but i want to just get everything set up and then i'll i'll kind of launch yeah. that and announce it as, awesome. an, as and when things get rolling and uh, awesome. yeah, I'll send you the recipe for the scorp at the same time. <laughs>
3: Please do.
1: <laughs> nice. I'm really, I'm really intrigued by it, and I, I would love to, I would love to make one just to, yeah. just to, just to make one.
2: Yeah, I hope one day I'll be able to like get it, get it down to a, a sort of a process that I can. Maybe do a video or something like that on, you know, yeah. Maybe even write it down in a book. Who knows? If I end up having, mm, having yeah. an operation on my knee, I might be looking for something to do from a chair. So mm,
3: I'll maybe,
2: maybe document it that way. But yeah, it's not, yeah, I won't yes, keep, it. I won't keep it a secret. It'll just be, it'll just be <laughs> what, it, what it'll be when I get around to it, you know. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. That'd be great. That'd be cool. great.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thank you again. And uh, you take care. Yeah, awesome. we'll be in touch.
2: Yeah, you guys too. Really great talking to you.
1: Yeah, right. Same here, buddy. Have a good day.
2: Very good. Bye.
1: Bye-bye. Oh,
3: Still on with us? No. Nope. All right.
0: That was awesome.
1: I gotta pee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah. That was a good run. A um, couple closing words from me, the managerial staff here. I'm still recording. <laughs> I am. Um, just a couple words to leave y'all. That was an awesome chat with Lee. Um, Yeah, we're getting back in the saddle, Mike and I. We're going to uh, hopefully keep up with the one uh, episode a month here. We're, we're uh, getting our ducks in a row. And uh, I just want to, you know, like Lee mentioned, he, he, he didn't even know about the podcast till a friend mentioned it to him. So keep spreading the word if you can. Anyone you know that's interested, just let them know. Um, That's super helpful. Shoot us a message. Uh, We love getting messages from people, whether it's on Instagram or shoot us an email. Um, Just great to get feedback from people. Uh, People have been leaving some reviews on Apple Podcasts, and that's helpful too. That helps get the the podcast out into the world kind of at large. So thanks everybody that's been on there. There's a few... uh, Five reviews here on apple podcasts and they're all five stars so that's uh that's incredible um at any rate uh keep tuned and we'll be back next month with our next episode mike's in the bathroom uh but that's me signing off take care
1: just say bye mike
3: <laughs>
1: okay i'm back sorry all right I had to use the restroom there for a second. We're out. All right, we're out. See you all. Bye. Bye. <laughs>